afternoon, and thanks for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference. I'm Kimberly Shirk. I'll be your moderator for today's show. And I'm joined by co-authors Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage, our experts on management techniques, the research behind them, and why effectively implementing them can make a huge difference in your organization. Today's topic for discussion I'm really excited about. It's Coach to Improve Performance, as described in Chapter 15 of the book, Managing to Make a Difference. And Larry, I know this is a favorite title of yours. Yeah, I apologize to everyone for this title, Coach to Improve Performance. This comes from the uh, Department of Redundancy Department. Why else would you be coaching other than to improve performance? So um, the, the title is what it is, and uh, the it doesn't affect the substance of the chapter or the the importance of the topic. So uh, we'll we'll move beyond the the weird title and and it just sort of said coaching or something of the sort. Well, we'll move beyond that and start to talk about. In a business context, what does good coaching involve? Because coaching is a very important part of any manager's uh, portfolio responsibilities. And it's one of the most important parts, which is why we're talking about it today. I do think that um, it's it's interesting to think about all the different ways we can bring coaching in. Um, Kim, when you think about this topic, what comes to mind for you? Coaching for me always takes on an athletic bent because I was an athlete myself and I coach athletes as well at the high school level. And so, Larry, you can help help pull us back to business stuff and I'll probably keep pushing toward athletics. But I think there's lots of great parallels and we can talk about what we know from both perspectives because good coaching is the same no matter what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I agree that with that. There's There's... Plenty of parallels. And by the way, mention what sport you coach. Track and field, and specifically I coach hurdlers. Okay. Uh, So, yes, I I agree that there are many parallels and that coaching is coaching. One of the differences isn't about the coaching necessarily. It's about the context. When one is competing in sports, Mm there is a very clear distinction between the actual competition. You know, the starter's gun goes off and the competition starts for the hurdlers and there's a finish line. And how, how long does a, how many seconds does a, a race last in the hurdling competition? Well, it depends if you're running the 100 or 110 hurdles or if you're running the 300 or 400 hurdles. But basically, you've got anywhere between world-class people being at about 10-point-something seconds um, to, you know, a minute. Okay. <laughs> it's not very so, long, given the hours that you put into practice, that's for sure. And that, that's, the, that's the point I'm making in any competition, whether it's a, a basketball game or you're running hurdles there is a discrete and not very long period of time if you if you use that period of time as the numerator of a fraction and the amount of time that you're awake as a denominator of the fraction the actual comp so you can coach during practices in between competitions when you're doing athletics in business every day is game day and the coaching has to happen during the game. There aren't these gaps where you can say, okay, now we're going to go back and, and 
and prepare for the game, every day is game day. And, and that, that creates a, a, a sort of a different flavor uh, when, when it comes to coaching and performing. It absolutely does. And in fact, one of the things we talk about all the time is when you get to race day, um, the cake is baked. And so there are a couple things I can talk to athletes about that can help improve their performance on that day, but that's not the time to try to change something major. And in the same way, when you're working in a business context and it's day-to-day, what you need to be looking for is those opportunities to make incremental improvements. What's the one thing someone could focus on? What's the one thing they could do differently that will help them perform better right now? Yeah, I think that's a good point. A mistake that many people who are new to coaching, a mistake that these new coaches make is to try to give the person being coached too many pointers, too many things to think about, too many uh, specifics about improvement. And they and the, the recipient of that gets overwhelmed. You know, here's some things you can do. Do this differently. Do that differently. Do that. And as you go on, a person can't focus on all of those things simultaneously. So really good coaching involves having the wisdom to know what's the most important thing that I can ask this individual to focus on right now, which means you have to know the individual and and they have to be able to do what you're asking them to do. So you, you have to take, as a coach, you have to take all these things into consideration. And that's where part of the art comes in. You've got to give people coaching advice that they can actually implement. You know, if, if somebody can't exhibit the behavior that the coach is talking about, then the coaching doesn't help the person improve their performance. So giving too many pointers at one time is going to be counterproductive. And I agree with you. You, you, you don't let the person focus on one thing. And I don't know if you, and I, and I've coached a lot in my life too, Kim, and I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when somebody focuses on, on that one thing that you've given them, often some other things that you didn't mention often get cleared up as well. It, I, I don't know why that magic happens, uh, but I, I've seen it happen repeatedly. Well, part of the magic is having that wisdom that the coach needs to discern what that one thing is. One of the things we talk about as hurdles coaches is, look, what's happening over the top of the hurdle while a person's in the air isn't happening in the air. It happened on the ground before they got into the air. And so we have to focus on what's happening on the ground so that we can make what's happening in the air over the top of the hurdle look right. Yeah. And in, in many cases in business, what you're talking about to some degree is preparation. Uh, and you can get some fundamentals in there that can help somebody. Uh, so... I think that that's a that's a great parallel. So I just want to reiterate that the very first important point about coaching is don't give somebody too much, too many different things to work on at any given time. Give them the one thing that's the most important thing for them to work on now and let them work on it. And and 
you know, once they get to a certain level, having worked on it, then work on something else. Well, Larry, like you said at the beginning, I, I don't, I don't think actually saying coaching to improve performance is so redundant, because if you get your focus in the wrong place, you might not improve performance. If you're trying to coach someone to have the perfect performance, you could make things worse because you're trying to make them focus in too many places. But if you're trying to focus on improving performance in an incremental and stepwise kind of way, you're going to take a different approach. Yeah, and and of course, we've been flogged with the phrase continuous improvement for the last 20 years and and but that is and there's a reason we've been flogged with that phrase because it's important and and so the the incremental improvements are are what continuous improvement is all about that you 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 don't want to reach a point where you're resting on your lawyer uh, laurels and even the best uh, professional athletes in their sport have coaches seek out coaches and are are constantly working on improving their game, and at that level, uh, often it's it's the only thing left for you is an incremental improvement. One thing that jumps to my mind is, um, in terms of a business coaching model, it um, is the question: What is the right timing? How often do you coach someone? How often do you spend time? Um, encouraging them, what's that magic number in terms of a management situation where you're trying to coach someone toward a specific goal, whether it's a short-term goal or a long-term goal? What is that magic time? The magic time is all the time. Coaching happens in real time. Just think for a moment, if you hired me to be your tennis coach, and you know you, you know a couple of fundamentals, but you're pretty green. You're, you're a young tennis player, you're pretty green, you hire me to be your coach, and I watch you every day, I watch you play. And I and here's how I give you feedback, semi-annual performance reviews. So I watch you play every day, and you have to wait six months for me to tell you what I think and what you should do differently, you're gonna fire me. Um, what you expect from a tennis coach or a track coach is when they watch you, you expect them to comment on your performance. You expect some feedback about how you did, what did you do well, and and particularly if the coach has said, I'd like to see you do this, and you do it, the great coach is going to say, that's it. Uh, because you can explain something to somebody, you can show it, but when they do it, particularly when we're talking about a sport, there is a kinetic feeling. There is, that's how it should feel. And so with the coach has to point out, now you're doing it right. So the athlete can think about how did that feel and how can I make it feel that way the next time I'm doing that move or whatever it is, whatever I'm supposed to do on the ground before I take off and jump a hurt. It's, if I know that's right, I know, I know how that feels. And in business, we are with our people. Well, not everybody's with their people every day. If you're a sales manager, your your people may be out there making sales calls and you're not with them all the time. So you can't coach them. So you're doing things like debriefing. You're doing things like rehearsing. You're, you're, you're coaching based on that. But many great sales managers go out with their people. 
and and I remember interviewing uh, uh, a very talented sales manager, and I I asked them, you know, what do you do if somebody has gone through the same training as everybody else, but they're not performing well, and he had a very large territory. He said, I fly out to their location and I get in their car and I make calls with them so I can see firsthand what they're doing and not doing. So uh, in many cases in business, though, we are there with our people. And when we see something happening, particularly good and also not so good, we have to call it out. And if it, if it could be better, we have to help people understand how, how could it be better. Time is definitely a factor in terms of coaching and the time that you spend with people. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but we will be right back with more insight from Larry and Kim, authors of Managing to Make a Difference. Um, Recently released, you can purchase these copies online at 800ceoreads.com. And if you want copies for your next corporate event, you can even customize them with your company branding. So consider it not just reading it for yourself, but also your entire management team. So stay tuned for more insight on coaching for improved performance. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily, and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Managing to Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. Visit our website at managetomakeadifference.com and there you you will find like additional materials and exercises that go along with the things that we're talking about on this podcast as well as all the information you need to order books for your team. So we've been discussing some thoughts from chapter 15 of the book, Managing to Make a Difference, and today 
Um, This chapter that we're building this podcast around is called Coaching for Improved Performance. So in the first segment, we were talking a little bit about giving them the one thing, not overwhelming them with 20 things to work at, but giving them the one thing and then how important time is for coaching models. So other things that come top of mind to you, Kim? The other thing that I'm thinking about that makes a big difference is the relationship. There's... You can be a great coach. You can have all the knowledge and and technical ability um, in the world. And if you don't build a a high-quality, very solid relationship with the person you're coaching, you're not going to get as far as you would otherwise. Certainly, certainly that's the case. And the the relationship takes on a character whether or not somebody is intentional about it or conscious of it, the relationship is going to take on uh, a character. And you might as well, as a coach and as a manager, you might as well be clear and intentional about what kind of relationship you want to build with a person you're coaching. And you have probably numerous people that you are coaching At the same time, it's part of your job as a manager uh, to coach all of your people and not just uh, single out one uh, for coaching. You may spend more time with certain people than others, but uh, at some point in time, you have to decide what kind of relationship do I really want with the people I'm coaching. And and I, I I couldn't agree more. One additional point. I want to move on to to another point. And Kim was talking about somebody who has all the technical knowledge in the world uh, about how to perform in in that role, in that job, but somehow or other doesn't help the the other person get better at that job. So knowing how to do the job is, is very important for coaching, but then coaching is, is a different endeavor than doing the job. So the, the coach goes, has, has, has talents and strengths specifically related to coaching that go beyond just knowing what the job is. And I, I'm leading up to the following point. Too many coaches believe that they have figured out this is the way to do it. This is the way to close a sale. This is the way uh, to uh, to do whatever it is you're doing. Uh, and what the new coaches are overlooking is that in many cases, that was the way they did it. And so me, the coach, I have a certain set of skills. I have a certain set of talents and they're unique to me. I create my success based on the strengths I've been given and I've grown. That's how I produce success in this uh, particular role. If I believe that that's the only way to create success, and this is the way, then I get somebody I'm coaching and I say, you have to do it like this. And the great coaches realize that just because they were able to do it like this doesn't mean the person they're coaching is going to be able to demonstrate those same behaviors because they have different gifts. And particularly in business, we have to help people figure out how are you going to use your gifts 
to get to the goal that you're trying to achieve in this business, whether it's uh, terrific customer service or whether, whether it's a, a great record in sales, uh, whatever it might be, how am I going to use my skills? How do I motivate this person? So they're always thinking about the person and the uniquenesses of the person, and they're coaching to those uniquenesses. Kim, you want to you wanna chime in on that? Yeah, and I can tell you that very clearly to an athletic example. Um, the thing is that, that people come to you with different styles, and they're built differently. I have some hurdlers who can stand over the top of a 39-inch hurdle and straddle the thing, and I have some that it comes up to their waist. I have to teach them how to do things differently based on how they're built, and I think that's what you're getting at, Larry. Yeah, that is what I'm getting at. And in addition to that, I'm getting at the point, particularly in a business setting, that what worked for the coach to produce excellence in that role might not work for the person they're coaching because that person has a different set of strengths. And so the, the coach has to recognize that there, there is not a way to produce excellence in role and must be sensitive to uh, how is this person going to get there and and adjust their their recommendations and their coaching to suit the strengths and the style of the recipient of the coaching. That's what I'm talking about. Well, and I think in a management sense, you have to consider the whole team as a whole. You know, uh, I have thought in the past of, and we've had discussions before about coaches and whether they're coaching to the strengths of the team as a whole, whether their playbook, their game plan is built around the strengths of the team or they have something just in your mind. And that I think that goes beyond just the individual coach, mentor, or mentee relationship, but it goes to building a whole team. So how do you, how do you advise when you're coaching an entire team um, and kind of going back to that strength-based, talent-based model, how do you advise coaches to look at what those goals might be? It, it, it's easier said than done, but it's easy to say, which is you have to take inventory of the strengths that each player brings to the team. And you, the coach, have to ask yourself this question, how can I make the highest and best use of those strengths? And and then the second thing, which, which we've been talking about first, is coaching each individual based on those strengths. How do they improve their performance? But one improves team performance. You know, we've also been flogged with the word synergy for many, many years. And how do you create synergy? You create synergy by, as a coach, by recognizing that different players bring different strengths to the game and by making the highest and best use of those strengths as they complement each other. And there are, and there's many kind of strengths and some of them are, are less obvious than others. People who have been keeping statistics on teams and players know that for whatever reason, there are players who, when they are on the field, when they are on the court, the team does better, even if the player isn't a star. Uh, 
the fact that they're out there playing, they're exercising leadership, they're, they're somehow making a contribution to that team that results in the team consistently scoring more when they're on the field than when they're not on the field, even if the person isn't actually doing the scoring. It's, it's kind of interesting. So there's all kinds of strengths. I, uh, I remember talking to somebody who had played uh, volleyball on a very, very successful team uh, when she was in college, and she was never on the first string. And when the coach recruited her, and this is a coach who made a big difference in her life, when the coach recruited her, she said, I am not recruiting you because I think you're going to be a first string player. But during practice, when we're scrimmaging, you can really help the first string players play even better than they would otherwise play. And that's going to be your role on this team is to help me get the most out of the first string when I put them in. And if, if that is a role that's attractive to you, I'd love to have you on the team. As a very, I, obviously, I've, rem- I've remembered that for years. Uh, but what an interesting conversation to have with somebody to celebrate the contribution they're going to make to the team, even though they're not one of the best players on the team during game time. Well, those, that kind of story is a perfect example of the difference between being a great player and being a great coach or a great leader. I, I was at a ball game one time, a basketball game, and watched a kid come off the bench uh, late in the second half and watched the entire demeanor of his team change. And I just watched this go on. And when I got home, I looked this kid up, and he was a senior. Uh, His stats were very far from the best on the team, and that's why he came off the bench to play for two or three minutes at a time. But he was a team captain, and he carried the spirit of that team. You could tell when he walked on the floor, everybody's game upped. Everybody elevated their game when he walked on the court. It's pretty impressive when you find somebody like that. Yes, and we're going to get to this in later podcasts, but what you're talking about, for me, what comes up for me is it's analogous to moral authority. Uh, A manager or a leader has moral authority when people up their game, when they behave better, when they perform better, just because the person is present. Uh, it's an aspect keep, of, go ahead. Yeah. Keep it related to our topic. As a coach, you have to be looking for those people on your team who aren't necessarily your best players, but who by their very presence, make your team better. I think that's, as I think about, um, even just having young children who are competing in athletics, I, I think, um, I think often of that. I will often tell them, I don't care what your jersey says. I care that your coach has integrity and they have some moral authority. (laughs) And uh, I can't even tell you how many times they've heard that from me. Uh, But it's so important to me that they're they're being built up as people of character, not just athletes. And so uh, that's what jumps into my mind. We are going to take a quick break. We do want to hear your questions um, about management issues. And I know we've been off topic about a little with athletes today, but it's so pertinent to everyday, day, everyday business as well, and just how you're coaching people to do their best and perform 
at a top level for your organization. So if you have a question about this, we'd like to get to it in future podcasts. All you have to do is simply kick, click the email host button just above the podcast description. We'll get those topics into upcoming podcasts and answer those questions for you. But we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with Managing to Make a Difference. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on-site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back, and thanks again for joining us today for Managing to Make a Difference. We've been talking about Chapter 15 in the book, Managing to Make a Difference, and the chapter title is Coaching for Improved Performance. So it's just one of the chapters from the recently released book, and you can order copies today on managetomakeadifference.com for yourself or for your entire management team. So we hope you'll check that website out. So we've talked a lot about coaching uh, for improved performance. We've talked about time spent as a coach. We've talked about high-quality relationships. We've touched on a lot of topics. Um, One that comes to mind now is how do you uh, celebrate success so that it's repeated? Kim? Yeah, I think one of the things that you want to get people focused on is where have we been successful? Let's study our successes and let's figure out how we're going to get more of those. And I think too many, too many coaches look at the game film um, and say, what did we do wrong and how will we not do that again? And don't pay as much attention to the plays that went perfectly. How did it go exactly as planned? And what did we do right to make that happen? And then how can we take that success and push it into other plays that maybe didn't go well? And 
it, taking that approach, if you want to get more failure, study failure. If you want to get more success, study success. That's a key coaching tool to improve performance. When you study success like that, you've got successful behaviors there. And it's much easier to repeat a behavior that was successful than if you're studying a failure and say, don't do that. It doesn't tell you what you should do in most cases. And and again, I, 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 I know there's a feeling that's involved when you've had a successful performance. And in a sport, it's a kinetic feeling. It felt this way. And I... I uh, Earlier in my life, I could have been a professional bowler, you know, like in a bowling alley. I could have been uh, a professional bowler. And I had a coach, and uh, when when he was telling me, your backswing is, is too high, um, I knew that when I was doing it right and I did my backswing, it felt like the ball was didn't go beyond my hip. It did go beyond my hip. But it didn't feel like that to me. And I, so I knew if it feels like it's not going beyond my hip, then my backswing is doing what I want it to do. And there's always that, that feeling that uh, an athlete gets. And it's, it's not so different from whatever your job is in business. If you have done it right and if your coach has called it out for you, there, there still is some sort of internal feeling that you get that you had while you were doing that, and it helps you duplicate that performance. So studying the winning plays, it's easier to duplicate those behaviors when you have had a success. And so instead of focusing so much on failure, we need to study to focus more on success. And there is understanding of the human brain that helps us know why do we focus on what's wrong? Why do we focus on these failures? Why do we focus on these problems? The ancient part of our brain is designed to identify threats and to, and, and in the modern days, those threats are translated. They're not really threats to our existence anymore, but the brain interprets them the same way and and produces the same sort of chemicals and therefore reactions when things don't go well. So the brain is programmed from ancient times to focus on what's wrong because it had great survival value uh, when we are out on the savanna. And, and so what does this mean? It means we have to be more conscious about focusing on what's right because that's not where the brain is programmed to go, but we can consciously decide we're going to focus on the winning plays. We're going to celebrate that. And the celebration could be applause. The celebration could be congratulations. That was really impressive. When we're talking about celebrating, it doesn't have to be champagne and caviar. It can be milk and cookies. It can be you write somebody a note. Uh, any sort of acknowledgement that something was done right. You know, the One Minute Manager, one of the greatest management books ever written, you know, is, is frequently quoted, catch somebody doing something right. So the brain is programmed to focus on things that are wrong. So we have to be very conscious about focusing on things that are right. And here's a, here's a suggestion 
for every single listener. When you are conducting a meeting, and it's your meeting, so you get to decide what the agenda is, take a few minutes at the beginning of the meeting and ask each person in the meeting, tell me about a high point or a success you've had recently. And just go around the room and let them do it briefly. And you will be surprised at what that does to the tenor of the meeting. And information will come to you that you wouldn't have otherwise had because people are having successes every day. But again, unless we are very conscious and intentional, they might not spend any time on that. And so when you go around the meeting, everybody can say, you know, each person can say, well, I had this success. And you can say, terrific, good for you. Who's next? When I think about... um being a coach as a manager, I think there are different ways not only to recognize someone, but there are different um, ways to uh, specify exactly what you're celebrating. Can you talk a little bit about how specific you need to be in terms of calling out what you're celebrating in order to improve that performance? Yeah, the more specific you are, the better. And when you're coaching, when you're giving somebody advice, the more specific you are, the better. So for instance, in, here's, here's a, a piece of coaching that many people have heard over the course of their careers. You really need to be a better listener. That's sort of a general piece of advice. Better coaching is when you are in the presence of a prospect, take notes and occasionally feedback to the prospect. Listen, I, I, I thought I heard you say this. Is, is that the point you're making or whatever? And that's specific. Now you, I've given you a couple of behaviors that you can duplicate as opposed to just saying be a better listener. Uh, and and the, the very best coaches get very specific with their advice and then they watch whether somebody is implementing that advice. When you are celebrating something, you can – you can say, you can say, boy, you really handled that complaint well. Congratulations. And, and believe me, that has value. Just saying that has value. But even more value, when I watch you handle the complaint and I say, I noticed that you never quit smiling at that individual even when they were ripping your face off. And I noticed that you didn't take it personally. You didn't get defensive. And... Uh, you were you were very clear that your entire goal was to help this person and make it right. And I, I really admired the way you handled that. I've given you a couple of specifics there that you can then repeat when you did it. But the more specific you get about what it is you're celebrating and what it is the person did to create that outcome that's worthy of celebration, the more likely they are going to repeat it. Well, in some ways, this takes us back to where we were at the top of the conversation when we were talking about, you know, you need to have a couple of things that you're focusing on, and they need to be the most important things. One of the things that, that makes athletic coaches really successful is they have cues, and when they say a couple words, everybody knows what they mean. For my kids, if I say, watch wallet, they know that I'm talking about, what are you doing with your arms? And, and they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. And so when you're in a situation 
um, like a lot of line managers are, where you're coaching people and you're coaching them in real time to manage situations, if you have some cues like that, watch wallet, um, and that is you're going to look at your watch with one arm, the other arm is going to be reaching for your wallet. If I can say that and you can know exactly what you should be doing with that very simple cue, I have a very powerful coaching tool. Very nice. I've never heard that. I've never heard that. Well, you're that. not a hurdler. <laughs> yeah, but, but... You may try. <laughs> I, I, I can assure you, when, when I walk through Times Square, I'm watching my wallet. Uh, so, another, another point I want to make about coaching, we started with this, which is when, you know, how frequently should you coach? And I said all the time, the best coaches give frequent candid feedback when you are coaching it's not that you're trying to hurt someone's feelings but you must give them very candid and frank feedback about what you're doing and this can be done in ways that are mean and it can also be done in ways that are are very supportive and caring and and motivational because there's a gap between what you are capable of doing and what you actually just did. And, and uh, the best coaches don't even have to think about how they're conveying that. They, they have that natural talent to convey it in a way that it's not sugar-coated, it's not equivocated, it's very clear, and in some cases very blunt, but they do it in a way that can be received by the person being coached. And part of that is what Kim Turnage said earlier. It's that relationship. If the person I am coaching in business or in sports know that I care about them deeply and that what I'm saying is coming from a place of caring and in indeed a place of love, if it's coming from there, I mean, just think about it. You, sometimes you yell at your kids. But you can do that only because you've established that foundation of love and they have no doubt what, what, that your fundamental intent is to be helpful to them. And that's why it doesn't destroy the relationship. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we've had a few questions roll in from some previous episodes, one in particular that's rather intriguing from a topic a few weeks ago, the Abandon the Shirley Method. So stay tuned for that after a short break and we'll be right back. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Asked to manage your teams but wonder when or how? Join Talent Plus on site with us or at your corporate office for a seminar built just for you. Leadership Toolbox focuses on individual engagement, talent and fit, team dynamics and growth, and creating a strength-based culture. This interactive, seminar-style format is just the set of tools you need for world-class team performance starting now. Reserve your spot today at talentplus.com. When managers make a significant impact, their teams are engaged, motivated, and excited. They love what they do. When those people work for you, you get results. Results matter, and people drive results. 
At Talent Plus, we've assessed millions of people over decades using our rigorous science to predict successful on-the-job performance and cultural fit with an organization's mission, vision, and values. Our online assessments and person-to-person interviews not only identify talents, but uncover a roadmap for success from a person's first day on the job to the day they retire. When people celebrate their talents, use them daily and think about how to lead with their strengths, they help their companies grow, produce, and innovate. Want to learn more about empowering your people to help you do great things? Visit us today at talentplus.com. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Thanks so much for joining us today for Managing to Make a Difference with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. Larry and Kim, we've covered a good deal of the impact a solid coach who knows how to to really teach and train can have on the outcomes and the mindset of a team. But what have we missed? Is there a special point we want to make sure to cover before we wrap up today's show? Kim, what what do you think? I just want to kind of summarize where we've been. Um, You know, we talked about the importance of focusing on what's important, focusing on one or two things being very specific about what you want someone to do. And we may not have tied it all together exactly this way, but it's worth saying that you want to be very specific about what you do want people to do, how they will be successful, not so much what you don't want them to do. Um, And so if you can keep it in that positive realm of where have we been successful and how can we recreate that success in other contexts, you're going to be more effective as a coach. Um, and we've talked about the quality of the relationship, that people need to know that you care about them. They need to know that you don't just know things, you care about them, and you're there to try to help them get better. And, you know, the title of the chapter is Coach to Improve Performance. Never forget that your goal is to make it better tomorrow than it was today. It does, you don't have to worry about perfect yet. And if you focus on perfect, you might not get the improvement you want. Focus on making it better. Larry, what do you have? Well, it's that relationship, the basis of that relationship that enables you to have those frank and sometimes tough conversations with a person you're coaching. And, And you can't shy away from them. The more you care about someone, the more likely it is that you're going to have that challenging and difficult conversation because you care about them so much, you know it's going to be uncomfortable, but you're willing to work through it. Uh, So that's what I have to add to that. Yeah, and as a coach, sometimes the nature of those very hard conversations is going to be saying, this thing that you want to do, I can see that it's not really where your gifts are, and I can see that your gifts are somewhere else how can we shift your focus toward these places that are stronger for you? It's not an easy conversation to have, but it's, it's looking back for people 
if you ask anybody what some of their best mentors and coaches have done for them, they're going to say they were willing to have those hard conversations that pushed them in the direction of what was best for them. Well, and I think you then you make someone feel um, especially significant, too, that you've taken the time, you know them well enough to know that that might not be where their gifts lie, but this is where they can excel, and you turn them in that direction as well. We do have a couple of questions. I'm sorry. I, I wanted to say also, Kim, as you pointed out, that that place of integrity that a coach comes from is so important, and that's where that kind of statement comes from. If, if it's coming from your heart for what's best for that person from a place of integrity, you're going to make a huge impact and make them feel important, as you said. And you'll make a difference in that, and they will know it. If, if, if that's where you're coming from, people know it. So uh, excellent remark. Yeah, so uh, we did have a couple of questions that were posed from a previous podcast, the Follow Shirley Method. So I think before we get to the questions, maybe we recap on what was the Follow Shirley Method. Very briefly, the Follow Shirley Method, almost all listeners have been the recipient of this method. You start a new job, you come on your shift in your department, and your boss is kind of surprised to see you because he or she thought you were, forgot you were coming, and nobody else knew you were coming, and they say, okay, uh, uh, welcome to the department, uh, follow Shirley today, and she'll teach you what you need to know about this job. So the follow Shirley method is exactly that. There's no planning. There's no organization. There's no forethought. It's just whatever Shirley happens to be doing, and that's what she will teach you today. That's the follow Shirley method. So we talked a little in that podcast episode about how that perhaps is not the best way to go about things and that a specific onboarding might be a better way. So this question comes in based on that conversation. And the question is, when you're picking someone to do the training, do you think it's wise to have a millennial take on that task? They might be good coaches and very upbeat, but perhaps a new employee feels belittled or just plain weirded out because they have someone much younger teaching them. In this scenario, do you think it's best to have two trainers, one who is the employee's age or older and the other who is younger to discuss things a little differently? Well, I think that's an excellent question. And as a, as a coach uh, and as a, a manager, you have to think about those things. If you have a person who struggles uh, being instructed by somebody who is younger than, than they are, uh, that in itself is, is, is a problem. But if it exists, you have to recognize it. And, and I think the point is well taken. Maybe that individual is not the right person. The, the thought that you might have two trainers is probably not a strategy that a business would choose to do simply because it drives up the cost of the training of that new employee uh, quite significantly. But you, you, so you might have more than one trainer as time goes on, as this person is learning the job. Today, they might have the millennial, and tomorrow, they might have a person who is more their age. The hypothetical says, I'm older than the millennial, et cetera. So tomorrow, I might have the person who's more, more my age. And remember, the, the solution to the, the follow Shirley method, the improvement was you have a list of things that a person has to learn. So whether it's Shirley doing the training or Frank doing the training tomorrow, they're all working from the same list 
so that we know that the training is going to be consistent and we know what has been accomplished and what needs to be accomplished. But also, I would say that if I were that manager and I were having the millennial be the trainer, I would frame it. And I would just say, you know, uh, this this millennial here, Grace, is um, I know I know she's young, but man, does she know this job? Uh, and she's helped a lot of people get started and be able to do the job at a high degree of excellence really fast. And what new employees want is they don't want to be dead weight. They want to contribute. They want to be productive. Uh, and so forth. And so as a manager, I would help set it up that way. But everybody in our society has to get used to the fact that somebody younger than you might know more than you do about this job. And we, we, we all have to do our best to get over it. Well, and I, I like your idea for framing, Larry. And I would just tag on to that to say, Never let the fact that somebody's maybe the youngest person on your team make you think that that's a disqualification for them as a trainer or a coach or a manager or a leader. If they have the right stuff, invest in them and accelerate it and set them up to be successful at those things that they're naturally gifted for. Great insights today. Um, We've covered the topic of coaching to improve performance today. I thank you, Larry and Kim, as always, for all of your great insight. Uh, Just a reminder to our listeners, thanks so much for joining us. If you have questions for us, feel free to click that email question, email host button just above the podcast description, and we'll get to those questions. And also visit our website at managedmakeadifference.com to purchase your copies of the book and even consider um, for your next event. Um, ways that you can share these management tips with your entire team. Next week, we'll be dealing with optimizing fit in the workplace. So we sure hope that you will join us then. But until then, we hope that you manage to make a difference in those around you today and every day. Have a great one. Thank you for joining us for Managing to Make a Difference with Talent Plus's Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. We hope these real-life management examples will help you manage teams across the globe. Just a reminder, this series airs on Voice America, the business channel, each Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. We hope you'll tune in next week for Managing to Make a Difference. Until then, put these practices into place and manage to make a difference.